Well, good morning. My name is Phil Nelson, one of the pastors here. Uh, that promo is for next week. We're starting a four-week series that we are really excited about. Can I even say I'm stoked about it? Um, this series is all about laying down four things, and I think 95% of our culture, maybe even 99.5% of our culture can relate. And the four things are, number one, is laying down our inadequacies. No one's got those, do we? Number two is laying down our need for control. Wives, don't do that to your husbands. I just saw that. Uh, three is um, our need for approval. Our need for approval, laying that down. And fourth is laying down the right to be offended. We're going to lay it down and we're going to see God continue to bring His identity to the false identities that we need to lay down. So I'm really excited about that. By the way, shout out to the band today. They did one of my favorite hymns. And um, there was this, uh, it just made me think of this uh, classroom, this uh, teacher, and she wanted to know what the kids thought about God and God's name. And so she said, kids, uh, I'm going to give you extra credit if you all can, you can give me the names for God. So Sally raises her hand and she says, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, the almighty God. And she's like, that's great. That's great. Next one, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's great. Next kid. And she's like, oh, don't want to call on him, but I will. And he says, Andy. And she goes, Andy. And he says, yeah, you know, Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me that I'm his no. Oh, Andy. So that just, that just may, has nothing to do with my sermon at all. But on a serious note, that hymn reminded me of something. And my, uh, my Aunt Glory, uh, I don't know, I haven't heard from my dad, but she's getting ready to take her last breath and see Jesus face to face. This woman, uh, Glory Tornator, um, she bought me my first Bible. She sent me a check in high school, and I bought my first Bible, and that Bible changed my life. And I got to talk to her last night, and I said, Aunt Glory, I'm going to be teaching to about 200 to 300 people tomorrow, and as you go to meet with Jesus, what would you want me to share? And she said, the blood of Jesus will never lose its power to change any person's life. And she was so thrilled to just go and meet Jesus. And I said, worship him. Tell grandma and grandpa I'm on my way. She thought I was saying I'm on her way. I'm my way to Kentucky. She goes, no, 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 no. I'm leaving. <laughs> I said, no, on my way. So, and Gloria, for some reason, you're listening. Uh, God bless you, and I can't wait to see you again. Um, so with that wonderful segue, um, let's dive into the book Titus. We're, um, we're, we're still doing a chapter a day, by the way, if you're visiting, welcome. We're so glad you can uh, join us. We want to just resource you number one to just encounter God, J just encounter his amazing love. One of the ways you can do that besides Sunday morning is get into, get into his love letter called the Bible. And we do that as a church, as 222 groups, as a staff, as leaders. Hopefully you do it, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your kids, maybe on your lunch break, whatever it is. We also have a podcast on Tuesdays called The Weekly Impact. And we just, shout out, um, we just want to resource you to be changed. And I'm going to give a point later today, so I'm going to just kind of put a bug in your ear so you can really hear it when I say it. This book is not about information. This book is about transformation. If you're reading it for information, go grab another novel. You could probably find something better from just an information standpoint. This is transformation, and this is the only truth that will stand the test of time, that will change your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And so we're right now in Hebrews 5, chapter 5. However, I want to go back just a little bit to a little tiny book, a little tiny book that's wedged between 2 Timothy and Philemon. And I think everyone else 
pronounces Philemon wrong. Senior, you're going to agree with me. I think it should be called Philemon, not Philemon, Philemon. So that's just, you know, I got the mic, sorry. (laughs) So this little book called Titus, even though it's three chapters, is absolutely packed with such a bold, grace-filled punch. And I even hope that we're punched in the spiritual gut this morning. Because it's not just, even though in the title on your study Bible it will say, you know, this is a letter for pastors and for leaders, but it's for believers alike. All of us have a leadership position, whether in our job, whether as a parent, whether as a spouse, whatever you find yourself doing in life, you lead at some point and in some aspect. And so we can get so much out of this. Just a brief background, not to bore you, but just to kind of give some exposition to this text so we can fully understand what Paul's saying, but also we can properly interpret the text. It's very important. How many of you see on Facebook someone just use one scripture to use a platform of something that they want to be made right that has nothing to do with that scripture? But hey, just ranting. So... Uh, Paul sends Titus. Titus is a Greek. He's not Jewish. He's a Greek follower of Jesus. And he sends him to this really large island off the coast of Greece called Crete. And if you know anything about Crete, it is really, really, really off left field. If you were to turn on the news station to Crete, you would basically see what's like a college campus gone wild. Not just on weekends. Every day, all day, every day. Wild, debaucherous, um, crazy, insubordinate it even says. No one's respecting anybody, let alone their authorities. It is a madhouse. And so Titus gets the awesome job to go into this place and bring order. And Paul's three chapters to Titus are his instructions to Titus to basically slap the corrupt leaders in the face, push them out of the church, bring up the, reg- the, the right leaders, and restore order to the Christian churches that were there. Easy job, right? Three chapters should be easy. And so um, we're going to look at how these churches, and hopefully we can relate today, some of you have nightmare stories of churches, hopefully not ECC, But um, you can see that these house churches were being led astray by corrupt leaders. Here's the danger, though. These corrupt leaders were proclaiming Jesus Christ. But they were teaching false doctrine, and they were living a a hypocrite kind of life. Hypocritical, shall I say, kind of life. And so Titus was going in to Crete with a very big job. It's to restore order through the grace of God. Of the gospel. So today, I want for us to take an honest look, not get caught up in what happened around 2,000 years ago and what Paul is saying to Titus for then, but we need to look at these instructions and see how they fit our culture today in 2018, our church called Elevation Community Church, the Big C Church, the Church of Christ, and the communities and the communities around us. It can apply, and it will apply. So it's all about us proclaiming lives that confirm the gospel in word and in behavior. And so if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you're a leader of this church or you're listening and you're a leader of another ministry, or even if you're just seeking Christ and what Christianity really means, Let us dive into these instructions and ask the Lord to teach us how to be more like Him. Because our lives, whether we like it or not, are giant billboards for all to see. And they're either going to see Jesus, the gospel, the good news put on display, or they're going to see self, messed up, broken, sinful self on display. Which one do you want to display to others. Let's pray. God, um, I want your words to penetrate my heart and be infused and received 
and permeate the hearts of everyone here, everyone watching, everyone listening. Christ, may you be displayed in my life through my action, through my thoughts, through my words. And may I be pushed aside and become less and less. And may you today be lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn to the book of Titus in your Bibles, if you brought them. If not, there are some random ESV Bibles around. You can grab one of those. Technology is awesome today. You can find a phone app on our Elevation Community Church app, or you can just look up the Bible online, or you can look at it on the screen. So we want to make it difficult for you. We want to make it very difficult for you to not plug into the Word. This is participatory. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to say come on. Just don't say get off the stage. Okay? So... I have titled this message as we turn to Titus number, uh, chapter 1. I've titled this message, Godly Living in Light of God's Grace. This is what Paul is getting at completely and wholeheartedly in the book of Titus. Godly living in light of God's grace. If you are not walking in God's grace, unmerited favor, then you're probably not walking a godly life. You're walking in your own strength. But when we walk in the grace that God has given us through Jesus, we can live a consistent godly lives that point to the gospel of Jesus. So let's look at some of these instructions that Paul gives Titus. So task number one, if you're taking notes, task number one is found in Titus chapter one, verses five through nine. What we see here in this task is Paul commands Titus to appoint new church leaders, which we call elders, overseers, shepherds, pastors, for each church community. So let's read this real quick, chapter one. This is why, Titus, I left you in Crete. Remember Crete, college campus every day, all day, right? So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, leaders, in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, a one-woman man, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery, that's wild living, or insubordination, no respect to authority, no respect at all, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Second time he said that. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or for greedy gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, before you tune me out, because this is just for me on stage, this is for everyone, but Paul is addressing the need for pastors at this point. So if you're on staff, Pastor Jacob, Pastor Daniel, Brent, and Tiffany, and if you're leaders and elders here at this church, and you're leading a ministry, or even you're in a position here at ECC where you have volunteers or people looking up to you, Celebrate Recovery Leadership Team. This is for us, for you. But those of you who don't consider yourselves leaders of the church, there is also this deep need for us to understand our identity, our calling, and responsibility. These leaders were men who were marked by proper teaching of God's word, proper teaching of God's word. And the way they lived, their private and public life was fully on display. Now, this was very different. Remember Crete, New Orleans, you know, uh, whatever you want to say as far as chaos, total self-pleasure, gratifying culture, college campus every day, all day. This was Crete. And so... Paul is saying here, Titus, appoint leaders, appoint men and women who are grounded in their identity in Christ. 
Number one, you heard this last week, 2 Timothy. Number one, I grounded in their identity in Christ. Number two, who will live out their calling because of their identity. And their calling is to be different than the unbelieving world around them. And because of their identity and their calling to be different in the world, they have a responsibility to model that godly life to everyone and everywhere. That is spiritual leadership. Who wants to join? (laughs) Paul is specifically talking to leaders here, like I said. However, this is transferable to all of us in how we model our Christ-centered lives. How we say we are a Christian and yet leave these doors and how we live our private and public life. Why is that important? Why is that a high standard? Why? Just turn on the news. Turn on the news. Look at the hopelessness in Florida. Look at the hopelessness all around you. You know what these hopeless people are looking for? Hope! And where are they going to find it? God's design is for the church. The church is supposed to model that hope. That is why this is so crucial that we understand that. That is why we rise to the standard. Because if we put the name of Christ on our shirts, we better be living and producing fruit that honors Christ. Because people are watching and they're looking for hope. They don't want your theology. They want the hope that you have that keeps you going. They want what you have given to your children. They want what your marriage stands for and how you love each other. They want the kindness and the patience and the peace that you display in work in the most intense circumstances. They want that hope. And you are the hope of the world if you have Christ living inside of you. And that's why this is so important. Our identity and our calling and our responsibility. Take a look at this quote here. May this sink in for a minute. When our identity is blurred, confused, or even forgotten, have you been there? Our calling becomes diluted, ineffective. Diluted and ineffective. And so then our responsibility as followers of Christ become trivial, not a priority, and undesirable. And we wonder why people don't want to walk in the doors of a church. We wonder why people don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus we proclaim. It's because... We've forgotten who we are. We're not living out our calling. We're being ineffective. Christians should be the most effective, most efficient, and most successful people in this world. Because they have the hope and the power that raised Jesus from the grave. And our responsibility then becomes very apathetic. We sit around And we wait for the next person to stand up and make a difference. And we wonder why this faith is no longer compelling to anyone else. And then we blame our government. We blame our world. We blame the guns. We blame, sorry, we blame everything else that people are using. And we probably should point the blame with the church. Ourselves. We have the light. And yet, we're living lives where the light is just this dim flicker. And people are just watching and waiting for that light to just... out, And it's happening everywhere. May it not be so of us, church. And this is bad enough when it's said of followers of Jesus Christ in churches... But it is absolutely detrimental, hear me leaders, 
It's absolutely detrimental when this happens to the leadership of churches. It kills families. It kills people. It divides the body of Christ. And most importantly, it grieves the heart of our Father. So leaders and all of us are called to live out the gospel above reproach. Jesus said in in, uh, Luke 12, 48, that to whom much is given, much is required. So, be a little more hesitant next time you step into a leadership role and ask yourself, am I committed to live a life that's above reproach, grounded in Jesus Christ? To be above reproach means that your devotion to Jesus is displayed to everyone in these three things. Not limited to these three things, but these three things kind of sum up everything. Integrity. Self-control. You know what self-control is? It's controlling yourself. But get this. It's easy, but we don't do it. Our self controls us. And so we're focused on our needs, our wants, our appearance, even to the point where our kids get the scraps, our spouse get the scraps, just because we are focused and we are running after the thing that makes us successful. It's this attitude of entitlement. And it's so toxic. But self-control means I am going to, get this, lay down myself, pick up the cross of love and service and humility and serve others more than I serve myself. That's self-control. Try putting it to action easier said than done. But here's the thing, is it's not in your own strength. If it's in your own strength, it's still self-controlling you. But if it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is self-control. Thank you. The health of the church, and please don't judge our leadership. I want you to confront us if you see our lives not matching up with the gospel. But just to judge us and compare us and then call us hypocrites is not necessarily biblical. Deal with the heart. But here's the thing. Leaders, elders, listen up. The health of the church is influenced so heavily by the health of our teaching and our daily example that we live for others. If we are not healthy, if I am not a healthy, spiritual man, husband, and father, there is no way I can lead this church in a healthy way that glorifies God. If I'm not healthy, that's why I need your prayers, y'all. I'm messed up. You can laugh out loud. It's okay. I need your prayers. The leadership needs your prayers because it's only by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do that. But we cannot lead you and shepherd this body and this community beyond where we are spiritually. We can't expect you to be in the Word and to be in prayer and to really be taking seriously your gifts that God has given you if we're not doing the same. We model it. And that's what Paul is telling Titus here. And so task number two is to confront corrupt leaders. As we've seen in many of Paul's gospels, uh, or, or letters, excuse me, Paul is addressing false teachers and false living, hypocrisy at its core, and he's putting those who are leading the toxic faith in their place. Oh, if we would put the people who are stirring toxic faith in their place today. Many churches and organizations would be shut down. And that's sad. Titus 1, verses 10 through 6. It's not on the screen, but it can be summed up by this. I'm not sure if you've heard this before, but it's this. Jesus plus 
nothing equals true spirituality. The corrupt leaders were saying different. They were saying Jesus plus something, circumcision. Plus food, rituals, and all and on and on and on. Remember, this is Crete. This is a lot of Greek people aren't Jewish. And they're saying you have to mold to our Jewish customs if you want to follow Christ. So hear me. Whenever we try adding anything else to that equation for our own lives and for this church and for your families, we believe a false gospel. If it's not Jesus plus nothing, you've got a false gospel. Hello. And if you're believing a false gospel, guess what? That means you're living out a false gospel. And it's no longer good news. And Paul's saying, Titus, look, the good news we are preaching is built on three things. God's faithfulness, God's love, and God's truth. And those who proclaim to follow after God must produce faithfulness, love, and truth. What does your billboard say? Does it speak and show faithfulness, love, and truth? And so Paul calls out anyone who teaches any message that looks different than that. Look what Paul says about these false teachers in chapter 1, verse 16. Take a look at this. It says, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Man, I hope that's not said of me. We read in 2 Timothy the same thing that Paul was saying, is saying that they have the appearance of godliness. They're the leaders of the church. They're the ones coming up and giving their testimonies. They have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. They don't live through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Titus, appoint godly leaders. Titus, deal with the corrupt leaders. And task number three, Titus, teach sound doctrine. This is found in chapter two. Teach sound doctrine. This is so important that needs to seek, sink in to all of our hearts. Hear me. Correct teaching of the Word of God is always centered on the gospel, the good news of grace. And grace alone. Not you, not how good you are, not what you've done, not what you haven't done. It is by grace and grace alone that any of us can be saved from our sin. Titus 2 says it perfectly in chapter 1. He, man, he just... He just cuts to the jugular right away. And it's three translations here so I, we can kind of grasp what he's saying. Talking about sound doctrine, which is what you teach. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with the sound doctrine, ESV. You, however, Titus, must, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, NIV. And the New Living Translation. I love this one. As for you, Titus, promote. Can you say promote? Promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. What is Paul saying here? He is saying, do the things that teach about Jesus. But do these things as a fitting response to the grace of of the gospel. We all respond to something. That's human nature. Are you responding to the grace of God? Or are you responding to the fear and anxiety that has filled your heart? Are you responding to the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ and your identity and calling and responsibility in Jesus Christ? Or... Are you responding to accusations and what people are talking about you over in the other offices? Are you responding to the love of Jesus Christ that he has given you? Or are you listening to the others, the moms, 
and the dads at the sports events talking about you or your family. We respond to something, and he's saying we need to respond to the gospel, which is a fitting response in our teaching. So this may sound a little silly, but I know me about five, ten years ago when this was asked of me, I didn't have an answer. Can you define to your children, your grandchildren, or neighbors around you, what the gospel is? Because if you're a follower of Christ, your life is hidden in the gospel. And if you can't share with your own words and your experience about the gospel, our witness becomes stunted, shall I say. Becomes in vain. Becomes ineffective. What is the gospel for you? What is the good news? How do you describe to someone who's not a believer in Jesus? What is the good news? Well, we're going to have an opportunity next month at our Good Friday walkthrough and Easter, the good news of the gospel. But if you're struggling like I did with understanding the incredible power of the gospel, a pastor named J.D. Greer of Summit Church says it this way, and I love it. Write this down if you're struggling with this. Because this will really help you. The gospel teaches us to look at three directions. So there's three visions of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Number one is upward. Upward. We look upward to the glory of God. It is only by the glory and the love of God the Father that we can have salvation. It's only by Him. We don't deserve it. We deserve eternal punishment away from Him because of our sin and rejecting Him. But John 3.16 says it so beautifully. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's upward. It starts with God. It's the vertical. And now we look backward. We look backward to the cross of Calvary where Jesus paid the debt that only we should have paid. And he bled out and he died for our sins. The perfect sacrifice. The lamb that was slain for us. We look back and understand that it's grace. It's grace. It's grace that I'm saved. Romans 5.8 says, While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And now we look upward to the glory of God. We look backward to the cross of Jesus. And then we look forward into what he is making us and where He is taking us. 2 Corinthians 3 says it this way, my wedding verse, I love this, that we who have a faith relationship in Jesus Christ, we reflect His glory, and we're being transformed. Remember that? It's not about information, everybody. It's about transformation. We're being transformed into Jesus' likeness from step to step to step to step. It doesn't happen overnight. We're becoming more like Jesus. You see, the gospel is all about transformation. And did you notice that nothing of that, those two first things of the gospel, had anything to do with you but God's love for you? You didn't do any of it. He did it all for you. And now all he asks is for you to allow him to shape you into what he has desired for your life. Titus 2, verse 11. So we looked at 2 verse 1, now 2.11 says this, stay with me, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's the upward and the backward. And that word for actually can be translated to because. So we do all these things, we teach sound doctrine, and we live a godly life because the grace of God has appeared to us. And so Paul makes it very clear, and let's get this message message this morning. Everything in our lives, everything, every part of it, every facet, every fiber, is to be reshaped by our experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how we become living billboards that lifts up Jesus and shows the gospel to everybody. Is where we're constantly and continually reshaped by the gospel. Hear me now. 
Christianity, what the gospel is saying here, is Christianity is not a to-do list that you need to work so hard on. It's not a set of morals that you need to master. It's not a bunch of rituals you need to adopt. It's not a semi-load of things that you need to put in your calendar. It's not difficult. You don't have to just keep working at it. Rather, this is going to be on the screen, rather, Christianity is a response, response to the grace that God gives to us through Jesus Christ. And it's fueled by the upward, the backward, and the forward directions of the gospel. Godly living in light of God's grace. But it's also empowered by the transforming power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. It's all through the power of Jesus. So, Titus, appoint godly leaders. Titus, deal with the corrupt leaders. Titus, and Titus, be transformed by your experience of the gospel. And the fourth and final task is this. Teach the gospel by the way you live. If you have to, use words. This is where it hits home to us, friends. This is where the people in Crete were challenged back then, and this is where we're tested today. So if you've tuned me out, I just ask for you to give me your hearts and give me your ears. You see, because of the corrupt leaders twisting the truth and adding many cultural, religious, worldly burdens to the Christian life, many Christians, their personal, their home life, and their public life was absolutely a wreck. Doesn't sound like our world today, does it? Can we identify? If you haven't noticed, the value system of the kingdom of God is in exact opposition to the values of this world. Night and day contrast. You see, this is what I see in the body of Christ so often. We proclaim that we're followers of Christ. Our aim and our desire is to be devoted fully to Jesus. We want to be all in. But then what happens? What happens? We become completely bombarded with the religious do's and don'ts. And this may be the reason why you once left the church. This might be the reason that right now you're hurt and wounded because of what the church placed on you that was not grace. You see, we're like a walking human Velcro pad. Imagine that. And all these things come flying at us and all of a sudden we just wonder why they're sticking. It's because we hold on to them and we drop the basketball Jesus. If that doesn't make sense to you, watch the message a couple weeks ago. You see, we're like a walking human Velcro pad. Cultural standards, we exalt ourselves, come flaring in and stick onto this pad. Wealth and status and material gain and temporal sexual pleasures that we pursue. Our lives are weighted down with the stuff that does nothing but rob the blessings that Jesus died to give us. And now instead of becoming huge beacons of light displaying Jesus We're a flickering, dimmer light ready to fade out. That is not the design of the church that Jesus died for. This toxic way of living does the following for us. Three things. Is it it, it, it discredits God's Word. Our toxic living discredits God's Word. It also allows people to make evil accusations based on our examples and the way we live our lives. With Jesus stickers on our bumper car. And three, the Christian message is diluted and no longer compelling to those who don't believe. And we wonder why the churches are dying. Can you now see why Paul is writing from his house arrest to Titus and saying, Titus! You're not made to live that way. People need to know the hope of the gospel, and the hope of the gospel is displayed through your life. Yes, be in the world. Christians, don't push the world away. Be in the world. 
Don't hide and put your Jesus into a closet and just pull him out when you're desperate. Bring him into full light. But be in the world so that others can see the hope that you have. This is why Paul pleads in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Self-control means saying no to the pleasures and the desires of our flesh. You say no. And you say yes to the gospel and the grace because Jesus was beaten and crucified and killed for us. And lastly, in the way that we live, it truly matters. And so Paul, in the book of Titus, uses every breath, every word that he writes down to shout from the mountaintop to Blanchester, Ohio, and say what matters most in your life What matters most today in your life, in your marriage, in your children is a life lived in faithfulness. 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 If we are driven upwards by the gospel, backwards by the gospel, and we're moving forward being transformed by the gospel, faithfulness will be your goal. And when faithfulness is your goal, you are driven to please the heart of God in everything. Because when everything is said and done in this life, get this, my Aunt Glory is probably experiencing this now or real soon. When you enter and stand before God in heaven, the Almighty Father, the Judge of heaven and earth, God will not be focusing on how much I accomplished in my life. He's going to turn it off. How big was Elevation Community Church? Click. How many people viewed your YouTube sermons? Click. How many people knew your name? Click. How did you climb? How high did you climb the corporate ladder? Click. How much money did you make? Click. How many times did you win Employee of the Month? Click. How many sports did you coach or sign your kids up for? Click. And how many friends did you have on Facebook? Click. None of that will matter. When you get to heaven, and I sure hope you have Jesus' blood all over you so that he can say, I died for him or her. Because then you can say, when you get to heaven, the only accomplishment that you are going to take in there was not was not anything to do with the importance of the tasks that you lived and carried out in your life, but it has everything to do with how you were faithful with what you were given. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, forgive my passion, but this is just, we need to understand this and hear this, and we need to wake up because life is so short. And I want to hear Well done, Phil. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't waste what I've given you. You lived out the gospel with everything. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.2, he said this, Moreover, what is required of a steward of grace is faithfulness. When all said and done, the only thing that you're going to want to hear is your father saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, when Jesus said, if you want to be a follower of me, he said, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross. And he displayed that in Philippians 2, where he humbled himself and became obedient and became a servant to all. That's what it means to be self-controlled and to give a life, living godliness by serving and loving others. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. I am almost done, I promise. I'm going to call the band up in just two minutes. You can watch your watches. Look at your watches. When a preacher says that, by the way, it means nothing. Um, Your life is a billboard for everybody. And so I'm going to ask you right now, let's go into self-reflection here. What is your billboard displaying in your life? Like it or not, people are watching you, especially when you put a scripture on your Facebook or a bumper sticker on your car. And if you're driving with an Elevation Community Church sticker, please heed this. 
Because people are watching. (laughs) When people look at your life, will they see a life lived for self and everything that follows that slippery slope? Or will they see a life that is completely, purely, and radically devoted to Jesus, serving others with all humility, not just going to church, but bringing the church to serve others, not feed ourselves with a bunch of theology, but to serve and be the church to others out of the power of the Holy Spirit, even if that means losing your friends, alienation from your family, loss of your reputation, loss of your job, even loss of your own life. Is it worth it? Are you willing to lay all that down for the sake of the gospel in your life? Even if the world rejects you and rejects what you stand for, guys, they will be so attracted to your life your marriage, and your family. Even though they reject the name of Jesus that you proclaim, they will not be able to deny the power of love coming out of your life. They will see. And when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. That's why billboards are so high. So people would see them. What's lifted high in your hearts? What's lifted high in your life? that people are seeing. And so as the band comes up, see? As the band comes up, I want to encourage, just as Paul did with Titus, Titus, there's four categories of people I want you to pursue, and I want you to teach, and I want you to lead, and I want you to shepherd, and I want you to equip. One was older men, The Bible says elderly men, but I didn't want to offend anybody here. Older women, younger men, and younger women. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take Paul's instructions and I'm going to exhort you as a shepherd called and anointed by God. I want to exhort you to live a godly and faithful life. Because that's what matters. Everything else, guys, will pass away, will be nothing but a vapor. But your faithfulness and how you display the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life will be for eternally displayed in heaven for all to see. And so I'm going to call older men and older women, and for the sake of clarity, let's say 50 years and up, I want you to stand. If you are 50 years older, you're showing your age, it's okay, we all love you, we need you. 50 years or older, stand right now. And I want you to hear me, I want you to hear these words, the band will play just very softly, but, but hear my words. Older men and women, you are called by God to live a life that is filled with integrity and faithfulness. You're to model self-control and not be running after the pleasures of this world. You're to be laying down even the things you desire if it gets in the way of the people in front of you that you're supposed to leave a godly example to. Don't think about your own needs, men and women, which leads to a self-focused attitude and what we see in so many older people, an attitude of grumpiness and being cynical, looking at the, the upcoming generation, they don't have it right. They don't sing the hymns anymore and they just don't do this and they wear their pants down to the ground and all this, blah, blah, blah. They need you. They need you. They're watching you. They're watching you. And they need older people in their life that live a life of service not to themselves they love and they self-sacrifice themselves for the sake of who the next generation it's about the next generation guys you're fading away imagine that the next generation is taking your place what will be said of you how Will you sacrifice yourself to serve these young, and women, young men and women sitting down right now? How will you take them under your arms? How will you pour the love of Christ, women, into these young moms who are struggling? These young businesswomen 
who just are ready to give up. You have a call to be above reproach and filled with love and to take these women under your wing and to pray for them and to build them up and to teach them what it means to be a godly woman, a godly businesswoman, a godly mother, a godly wife. Older men, don't give up. So many older men approach their th- the, the last third of their life and they just coast it. Retirement, golf, movies, whatever. Don't give up. Don't stay steadfast. These men sitting down, we need godly examples. We need leadership in this church. Men, how are you serving and loving and laying down yourself for your wife and showing your kids that you are humbling yourself and washing your family's feet? Older men, you're to be above reproach and filled with integrity. Your accomplishments, guys and women, should not be letting your money lay in a bank, a bank account that's just piling up. Your accomplishments should be doing whatever you can to see the kingdom of God thrive in the younger generation. That's what you're supposed to be up to. Where are you with the kids' ministry? Is it just an area in the back that is for other people? Or do you see these little kids that just need to desperately need to know that Jesus loves them and has a plan for them, and they see it in your life? That's what e-kids ministry is about. Jacob is just beating himself, not down, but he is just working so diligently and hard the disciple, guess what? Your kids. Your kids. Where are you going to be to come beside Jacob and to hold up his arms and say, we're here with you. Follow our lead. We're going to model Christ. Men, what teens are you going to take out to lunch and start talking to them, showing them God? Women, what teens are you going to start having a date night with and teach them how to be a godly woman? Set your desires on serving the needs of the church in the next generation. And I ask you, I implore you to stop sitting in the pews of the church and start leading as men and women. You may be seated. Younger men and women, stand. That's 50 years and younger. Stand. Wow, look at that. Older people, look what you're doing. This is your mission field. (laughs) This, don't go on a mission trip to Africa just to be on a mission trip. Come to Elevation Community Church. Woo! Younger men and women. Can you boldly and confidently say that Jesus is enough for you? Can you truly say that Jesus is your everything? You don't need anything else. Because if you can say that, fight. Fight with everything that you have to say no to the worldly sinful desires that are pulling you down. Do you know that your sins are going to be passed on to generations and generations of your kids? Think about that. Fight with all you have to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That's why Jesus offers us living water that will never run dry. But when we pursue earthly desires, we come up empty all the time. Jesus has everything we need. Are you tired? Some of you look tired and exhausted. You're tired of being tired. You're ready to give up. You're on this merry-go-round of life and it just never seems to stop. You keep going and going and doing the same things and expecting the different, different results. Let me ask you this. What are you exchanging for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you exchanging fear and anxiety and worry for peace that passes all understanding? Are you exchanging worldly applause of men and women and success versus well done? my good and faithful servant. Young men, man up, for goodness sakes. Be men 
who honor God and love their wives and love their children, if that means sacrificing golf, if that means sacrificing hanging out wherever you hang out with your friends, if that sacrifices TV time, then do it for the sake of the gospel of Jesus because your kids are watching you and your kids will one day imitate you. Women, I say this with all humility and love. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. You are beautiful. You are the bride of Christ. You are so precious. Stop trying to be something that you're not. God loves you. You are gorgeous. You are extravagant. Start living out the beauty that he has for you, which starts in here. Stop trying to win the hearts of your children. Start loving and serving the hearts of your children. And women, when your husband's not loving you and not displaying Christ to you, don't lash back. Go to your bedroom, get on your knees, and pray. Pray that the love of God would be displayed in you so much that he would see that you're not living for yourself, but you're living for Christ. Young men and women, we are the church of today. What's going to be said of you? What's going to be said of you, parents? Are you exchanging the legacy? Joseph, come here. Come here, buddy. Are you exchanging the legacy of your kids and your faith by just filling suitcases full of trophies and medals for all the activities that they're doing that they're not going to be able to take in front of Jesus? I'm not saying it's bad. But are you teaching your kids to worship by the way you worship? Are you teaching your kids how to love their mother, how to love their siblings, how to be Jesus to the schools and to their kids and to their friends? Or are you teaching them that life is just crazy, chaotic, stressful, and not fun? Why do you think there's suicide and depression all over the place? They're just watching mom and dad. They're just living the culture that you set for the house. It's time. It's time to step up and be the church. It's time to display the hope that you have in Jesus. It's time to serve. It's time to love. It's time to sacrifice our lives for the sake of the gospel. What will they see in you? And so during this time of response, I want this altar filled because I know, I know that there is so much stuff we need to lay down at the cross and say, find me faithful. Jesus, find me faithful. Show me what I need to lay down. And at the cross, show me what I need to pick up. Because everyone is watching. What are they going to say about the billboard that you are displaying? We have some of the best leaders and some of the best pastors and staff here. There's very few people who love your children more than you do. One's God. There's really no one else, but I tell you what, there's a close second. This woman, Tiffany, loves your children. But guys, she can't, she can't display Jesus to all these kids just herself. She needs young men and women and older men and women to hold her arms up and start joining in this, over in this wing of e-kids. Do you realize that our capacity over there is about 100? Do you realize we're at about 90 kids and leaders back there right now? They need you. They need us. I have not met a single youth pastor 
fresh out of college at the age that ripe 22 years old and so faithful and so passionate about bringing Jesus to the students in this community than Jacob. And we joke, but I tell you what, God has given us an American Idol. <laughs> but here's the thing, is I've watched this man cast down all his idols this last year. All his idols. And what you see is what you get. And I tell you what, I worked so hard for five, six years to build a worship team like this, and he's done it in a year. this pastor Daniel and his wife Lainey and myself we love you more than we could ever tell you or how we show you in our actions this man is a lover of people and he is so passionate about you men learning your identity in Christ as men as husbands as fathers he is a foot washer or is it a feet washer I don't know he washes feet so don't come to his office and take your shoes and socks off because that's not what I mean. We love you. And if you're visiting and you're not connected, let's get you connected. First to Jesus, then a community of believers, and let's get you start serving because it's time to stop just going to church. It's time to start bringing church. You got another hour? Tonight at 5 o'clock, core gathering. By the way... This ministry operates on your generosity. There's giving stations. There's a phone app. You can give online. Be faithful. Faithful. Just be faithful and do it as unto the Lord. Man, you guys are beautiful. You're precious. You're amazing. Love you. Bye.